Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Jamie All Over. Today I'm joined by a licensed mental health counselor in Massachusetts. She is also an author of an upcoming book called Therapy and Other Drugs. She's a fellow Red Sox fan and an emo music fan. And we've been in an IG group chat together with an amazing group of other podcast listeners for over two years now. Welcome to the show, Christina Brown. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. You and I have been in this Instagram podcast group that I just mentioned, and we've become great friends through that. Thank you so much for always being there for me and all the other women in the group. We've followed your journey when you first said, I'm going to write a book to the whole process. And now it's almost on bookshelves. I know. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it doesn't feel real. Well, I want to get into all of the book writing process, the steps. I want to know every last detail because a little known fact about me is I moved to California to write a book, and that was in 2008. (laughs) (laughs) I did not do it yet. So, you know, one of my mentors always says, find someone who's doing what you want to do and ask them for advice, ask them for help. So now that I have you here, I want to get every last detail. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there who always had this goal or dream to write a book. So I definitely want to dive into all of that because you started from a place of not even knowing and you actually had to Google how to write a book. Oh, yes. Nope. I absolutely Googled. How does one person write a book? And here we are. I love that. Before I get into all of that, why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a background as to your therapy experience, and then we'll kind of get into the book writing process. Absolutely. So my name is Christina. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, so also LMHC in the state of Massachusetts. I work with adults with substance use disorders, specifically opioid use disorder. So I work in a facility that provides medication management to help patients with managing withdrawal symptoms of opiates, such as heroin, fentanyl. So like I said, we do medication management. I'm actually the clinical director of the program I work for. So I oversee all of the other therapists that work there. We have about 600 patients. And I've been there for almost seven years. So I've been doing it for quite some time. 600 patients, Christina, that is a very large number. (laughs) It's definitely challenging. There's really a lack of applicants out there right now, unfortunately, in the mental health field. Why do you think that is? During COVID, I feel as though the staffing shortage has gotten even, even worse. And the demand for therapists has gotten even higher with COVID. Yeah, that makes absolute total sense. Going through 2020 and beyond, you know, and the lasting effects of the pandemic, it hit so many people really hard with mental health. You're going through it too, though. So how do you (laughs) take care of your own mental health during such difficult times? Absolutely. So self-care is so important. And I write about it in my book that I am better at being a therapist to others than I am of being my own therapist. So I really have to take time for myself and therapists. A lot of us have our own therapists. So that's pretty amazing. I love to travel. I love to read. So I try to make time for me in those ways. I recently joined a new gym that I've been enjoying going to. So 
really just trying to take time for myself and do things that I enjoy. So traveling, reading, going to the gym, spending time with my dog, friends, and just really focusing on bettering myself overall. Was there a time when you didn't know how to separate work from your personal life? Oh, absolutely. It took a very long time to learn how to how to do that. Especially in your field, I would imagine you're bringing home such heavy issues and carrying, you know, empathy for all of your patients. Absolutely. I know so many people have a hard time not taking work home. Do you have any advice? So it's definitely easier said than done. But I would say the biggest thing is to just realize that when you're not at work, no matter kind of what you're doing in certain fields, there's nothing you can do when you're not there when it comes to the medical field or mental health field. For instance, nurses, they can't treat their patients when they're at home. So same with my work. My patients come in every single day. They receive their medication. They come to session in person or telehealth, but I will have my patients come in person. When I'm home, I can't do anything. So I think really learning and reminding myself that when I'm at home, yeah, I can worry all that I want, but I'm not going to be able to change anything while I'm here. And also when I am at work, I need to be on my A game. I can't be exhausted from not sleeping, worrying about my patients all night. I need to be there and be present when I am there. And it took honestly probably years to really perfect this and separate it. But I can confidently say now that I'm able to leave work at work and enjoy my my life when I'm outside of work. You are traveling and you're enjoying your little cute pup and your husband. So I'm really happy that you're able to enjoy all those other aspects of life and also still be able to help people. It's so crucial what you're doing. What made you want to even get into this field? I've always loved this field of psychology in general. And then with substance abuse, I mean, I think all of us know someone who struggles with addiction, whether it's ourselves, loved ones, family members, friends, pretty much anyone. So I've always just been interested in it. I've had loved ones struggle with addiction, pass away from addiction, overcome addiction. When I first was applying and I applied and interviewed at the place that I'm working at, I was able to secure this job while I was still in graduate school. So I started this job 10 days after graduate school, which was back in 2016. And I've been there ever since. You deal with methadone specifically. Correct. My ex is actually a former Marine. He came back with PTSD and we went through everything with him in regards to substance abuse, uh, which led him to eventually going on methadone. And then not by the advice of any of his doctors, decided to cold turkey quit taking the methadone. And yeah, it was it was a very difficult time. (laughs) Let me just say that I can only imagine. Is there success stories? I mean, is that what keeps you going? Absolutely. And actually, in my book, I talk about probably my favorite success story. So that's probably one of my favorite chapters that I wrote and that people have read. I think you might have actually read that chapter. I think I sent it over to you. Mm -hmm. The coolest thing about being in the field and at my specific job for as long as I have been is I still have some patients that I met on my day one. So whether they still come for medication or they just come for counseling now, it's really amazing to see them from their rock bottom to where they are today. It's it's amazing. So of course, I want everyone to succeed and everyone to be perfect and healthy and sober. But some people definitely still struggle relapse. Unfortunately, some people pass away, but we definitely do have people thrive and live very lovely lives when they're done with their medication. And some come back just for counseling, which is great, or some, you know, just carry on in their lives. And my favorite thing ever is getting a phone call from a past patient just saying, hey, Christina, how are you? It's so-and-so. I wanted to let you know I'm doing well. And those are my favorite phone calls to get. Oh, I'm sure. It affects everybody, it seems, somehow, whether it's them personally or those related to them or close to them. Do you have any advice for, say, family members or friends of people who are struggling with substance abuse? Are there any misconceptions? Is there anything you can maybe help clear up? Absolutely. I think One of the hardest things for people that love someone who struggle with addiction is it's hard to not personalize it. 
it's hard to not think that, you know, what you did maybe could have affected them. So say maybe your child is struggling with addiction. It's so easy for a parent to say, well, what did I do wrong? You, you had a great life. You had a great childhood. It's not about you. It's about them. And really trying to figure out where they are and meeting them with their needs and meeting them where they're at. So of course, it's easier said than done, but really just understanding, okay, this person that I love that's struggling, do they want to get sober? or Do they not want to get sober? Right? If you say, oh, well, I'll bring you to detox and you take them to detox, but you're kind of forcing them, they're not going to get sober, they're going to get out and then go right back to what they're doing. And that's a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to say that you're loving someone, you care about someone, but they are struggling. And I think the biggest thing is to just always show them you love them. And addiction makes people do some crazy things where family members sometimes cut off their loved one, not because they don't love their child or sister or husband. It's just because when that person's using, they're not the same person. Maybe they're stealing from them or harming them and can be exhausting. And I have so much empathy for the family members of those that are struggling. If someone were to question you, is it better to cut them off? Or what would you actually tell them? Or is it something that you probably can't answer because it's different for every situation? It is such a unique thing because there are some people that just need that family support that need someone to to care about them. But there's a fine line between enabling someone and supporting them and caring for them, right? If you're, say, we'll say if your brother, right? So if your brother's coming to you saying, you know, oh, I, I'm so sick, I need money. So I'm not sick anymore. And you keep giving them money, you're giving them money to buy drugs. And so they're not sick. That's enabling verse they're coming to you saying, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, you know, I, I robbed you from for money, but now I want to get better. And you bring them to detox. And maybe they have they then have maybe a couple months of sobriety, then they slip up again, but they're able to still tell you, okay, I did use and, but I am trying to get better. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I mean, I can't tell people what to do. I just know personally, because I'm in the field, I think people need support and they deserve to be loved no matter what, where they're at with their addiction, Mm -hmm. because they are someone's, you know, they're someone's child. Somebody cares about them. I, when I talk to my clinicians, when I interview, I, I make sure it's very clear at the end of the day where, yes, we're treating patients. They are a person in our program, but to someone in the outside world, that person is somebody else's everything. That is someone's child, someone's parent, someone's husband, someone's wife. They have so much more to them than just their addiction. And I think it's so important to remember who they are as a person and you know, when somebody is struggling and maybe they are not their best selves and are hurting you, if you need to step back from that, you have to, of course, take care of yourself. But, you know, everyone that's struggling deserves help. And that's where kind of I come in and programs that I work at, why we come in and we can help those that maybe family members can't really help at this time. Writing a book, I would think would be in in your field specifically, a catharsis because you you must carry all of this, you know, and I know you have ways of separating it now, but still, I know that writing, journaling, it's very therapeutic. Did writing this book make you feel lighter in any way? Yes, you have no idea. I feel like I needed to write this book, whether people read it or not, I needed to write this for myself at the end of the day. There are chapters that I wrote that I did not include in my book that I just wrote because I needed to get them off of my heart and onto paper. And I don't want anyone to ever read them, but I wrote them and then I deleted them. But it was lovely to just kind of write. And yes, as a therapist, I tell my patients to, to journal and write their thoughts. So it was definitely extremely therapeutic. This book is really personal. It gets really deep in a lot of different ways. So readers will see what it's like working with those that struggle with mental health issues, as well as me learning how to deal with my own mental health issues and just kind of working through that process. Writing this book was a huge, huge help. So it's called Therapy and Other Drugs. How did you come up with the title? What does it mean to you? Coming up with the title was one of the hardest things I could have done because I knew what I wanted my book to be about. And I just feel as though therapy is such a taboo topic for some. Of course, in this day and age, it's getting more and more common to talk about. But for a while, you know, in past generations, people were embarrassed to go to therapy. You know, I had a patient a few years ago 
who would not use their insurance because they didn't want their significant other to know they were going to therapy. So they would pay for their sessions with me completely out of pocket, which was ridiculous. It's so expensive to pay out of pocket without insurance, but they didn't want anyone to know that they were going to therapy. Can I just pause right there? I've got a question about that. Of course. So obviously there's a confidentiality aspect, yes. but when it comes to the insurance, let's say this patient of yours, he's married. He didn't mm-hmm. want his partner to find out because his partner would have found out through the insurance. Is that what you're saying? So maybe if the insurance sent a bill to the house mm-hmm. and they opened it or whatnot, they could they could absolutely see that. That blows my mind. Just like, for instance, I got blood work done a couple of weeks ago and they sent mm-hmm. a bill to the house saying, you know, you owe X, Y, and Z. And I open it and it says all the blood panels that were done. I know that's specifically why they didn't want their significant other to find out that they were in therapy. Wow. I mean, that's a whole other topic that I would like want to take on and be right? like, hey, insurance companies, you need to change your ways because that's not cool. You shouldn't have people scared to go get help mm-hmm. or having to pay out of pocket just because you're going to send a bill to the house. Right. Where were we? So yeah, no, just talking about the title. And I just wanted it to kind of be something almost a play on the words just saying like, okay, there's therapy and there are other drugs. Mm. Anything can be a drug or vice to some people and just trying to take away that stigma. And yeah, I just I thought it was a kind of a catchy title and it stuck. And here we are. I actually just saw your cover, which is so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Did you design that yourself? What was that process like? Yes. So I <laughs> I worked with an amazing team of artists and marketing people to help me with the cover, but they, of course, wanted some inspiration. So the color of the book is teal, which is my favorite color in the whole world besides okay. black. So I wanted a color that would really pop in the bookstore. So one of my best friends and I were walking around a bookstore one day and we were just saying, okay, what covers are sticking out to you? And a lot of them were the really light blue ones or the yellow ones. And teal is my favorite color. So we said, you know what, I'm going to go with teal. On the cover, there is a pill bottle with flowers coming out of it. It's really quite beautiful, like that statement. Thank you. I liked the idea of having a pill bottle on there with flowers coming out because I feel as though Yes, you can be kind of like sucked into some negativity, whether it is actual drugs or mental health or just kind of any sort of poison, honestly, and kind of grow from that and bloom and get better. And I actually got it tattooed on my arm. I didn't do a pill bottle because I didn't really want a pill bottle on me, but I got a poison bottle with flowers coming out of it as just kind of a representation of my book cover. Oh my gosh, I love that. You have quite a few tattoos. I do. I almost have a half sleeve done, so we're getting there. Very cool. So you're a cool therapist. I I am a cool therapist. My (laughs) patients, the first time one of my patients saw, I have a skull, I have half of a skull tattooed on the side of my arm and my brother has the other half. And so I got that maybe about two years ago. And the first time a patient saw it, he was like, is that is that real? (laughs) Yes. Yes, it's real. He was like, I did not expect you to have tattoos. And yeah, I usually wear long sleeves, but now you can kind of see a couple of them and the patients think I'm cool now. Do you let them know that you also like my chemical romance? (laughs) Um, If they walk by my office and hear me blasting my emo music because my clinicians know that I love it, they'll come into my office sometimes. And I had one come in and he's like, are you having an emo day today? Because my chemical romance was just blasting in the background. I'm like, I'm always having an emo day. It's like, no, this music makes me happy, actually. Exactly. I know. I'm always wearing black. Whenever I wear a colored blazer, my patients are always like poking fun at me. And same. When I'm forced to wear color, like if a friend is like, okay, the theme is pink. It is, first of all, it's so hard for me to find something pink. But if I actually go out and purchase bright color, I feel like a fraud walking around in any color other than black. I know. (laughs) I have a black sweater on right now with black pants and black socks, if anybody wants to know. So yeah, everything is black right now. Love it. Okay. So back to my questions, because I want to know every last detail. Okay. Of course. December 2021, you started writing the book. Correct. Did you start writing before you even knew if you were going to get a deal? Yeah. So one day in December, I was talking to my husband and I was saying, I'm going to write a book. He's like, oh, okay. 
great. I don't even have a laptop, but I'm going to write a book. I started jotting down ideas in a notebook because I'd wanted to write a book for years and years. And so I went out and bought a laptop. Haven't had a laptop since graduate school because I don't really need a laptop. I have a work computer. So I went out, bought a laptop and just started writing. And I started writing just different stories. And then I had taken a writing class through Georgetown University, which was amazing and so helpful. So I started taking that. And then before you know it, here we are. Was that class online, I assume? Yeah. Since you're in Massachusetts? Okay, cool. Yeah. You started writing and you were just yeah. writing kind of random stories. Nothing was in mm-hmm. order yet. At what Correct. point do you start Googling how to write a book? And then how did you find all of this help? I know you had to put down a deposit. I didn't know that was part of the process or maybe it isn't for everybody. And then you've got different editors. You've got a marketing specialist. Is this a team that you hired? How does it work? I have, as you know, I have a book account for an Instagram account for my books. It's called The Daily Reader with an underscore. And I follow some really awesome authors and just other people that love reading and books throughout that account. I've met some really great people and somebody wrote a book and asked me if she could send it to me so I could review it. Of course, I said yes. And she was young when she wrote her book and it was about her struggles with addiction and recovery. And it was an amazing book. So I had actually reached out to her because she was really young when she wrote her book. So I just asked her how she went about doing it. And she kind of gave me some connections. She's the one who told me about the writing class. And through that writing class, they were able to kind of hook me up with New Degree Press, which is the publishing company that I'm going through for this book. And I was able to submit my manuscript to them. And they, when they accepted it, that's kind of how I started getting that team was through New Degree Press. The deposit aspect, there's different ways you can do it and pay for a book to be published. And I chose to pay for it myself. Is that so that you own the rights of it in the end? Smart. I own all of it. Plus I, again, am one of those people that if I'm going to do it myself, like I'm going to do it myself. And I wanted to just fund it myself. I wanted to do all of it myself. I didn't want to owe anyone anything. I didn't want anyone to have any rights or say to this book besides me. I didn't, you know, I didn't want anyone to technically invest in it or anything. I wanted it to be completely my own. You don't have to say how much you paid, but is there maybe a range if people are like myself interested in writing a book and they want to go this route, what would they have to invest? There's way more traditional publishing companies where you don't have to pay and they take a large percentage. This is more towards the independent type publishing. So there's a huge range, but I would say, you know, it's it's expensive. It's in in the thousands. Less than 10,000? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What exactly is in the manuscript? The manuscript is pretty much my book and it's pretty much just filled of different stories that I share about personal experiences, work experiences, loved ones that have struggled with addiction that has impacted me, my own mental health and just a whole variety. So when you send the manuscript, it is pretty much the full book. It's not just like one chapter or something. It's like the entire book. Oh, okay. Almost the whole book. I would say at that time, it was probably, let's say, maybe 75% of it. Well, what you sent me, which I was honored to be able to read, was really interesting. I loved it. And it just made me want to read the whole book. So I can't wait to read it all. Thank you. What was your why in writing this book? There's so many whys and I feel like it might, you know, it kind of changes after time a little bit when I really just dive deep into it. But I think the basic, most simple answer is just, honestly, I I wanted to do this for myself. I always wanted to write a book since I was a little kid. I just would, I would (laughs) rip off the back of the construction paper there was always that cardboard piece at the back of like a pack of construction paper I'd rip that off and that would be the cover (laughs) of my books and then I would take my construction paper and I'd write my books and then I would have my mom hole punch it and tie it together with ribbons and I would make books as a child and I just love reading I love writing it's always a bucket list thing that I've wanted to do you know I joke around with my coworkers because my patients can be really funny sometimes and I'd always joke around and say, oh, I'm going to write a book about this one day because nobody would ever believe these stories if they didn't witness them. But at the end of the day, I honestly think I did this for myself and for nobody else. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do 
something that I've dreamed of my whole life. That's amazing. And that's another thing that I've kind of heard and kept in my head. It's like, write as if no one's going to read it and you're just Mm -hmm. writing it for yourself. Oh, and I definitely did. And I think that's why I'm petrified for people to read it. What are you most scared of? I am so scared to be vulnerable, especially for my patients, because I obviously have not told, well, I guess it's not obvious, but I've not told my patients I was writing a book because I, when I'm in therapy mode, I am very professional. I am, boundaries are huge with me. I don't talk about my personal life because it is, it's not going to help them, right? Me talking about personal life is not beneficial to the patient. So I keep very strict boundaries and this book is so personal and I think I'm nervous if any of them read it and, you know, learn a little bit more about me. Yeah, I think that kind of makes me nervous. I'm also just nervous for people to read it and not like it, think, you know, maybe it's not helpful or I don't know. Opinions kind of scare me. I can somewhat relate with that because there's some episodes of my podcast where like I fight on a regular basis to not delete these certain mm-hmm. episodes because they are so vulnerable and I'm like right? I just cringe thinking that, that like that's out in the world and yes I fight myself all the time I'm like no like that's why I need to leave it there I need to leave it like if I'm uncomfortable doing that that means I need to be doing that because that's how we grow exactly and honestly if this can help anyone in any way just feel like they're heard or anything then my job is done do your coworkers know that you're writing this book I know you said you joked yeah. around with them how do they feel about it great so I told my boss right away because my boss is just the greatest person ever and I have the best relationship with her and everyone should have a boss like her because she makes work so fun she makes the hard days just so much better and I owe her everything when it comes to the therapist that I am today I am this way because of her and I told her right away that I was thinking of writing a book. And of course, you know, confidentiality is so important to me. And I wanted to share certain client stories and making sure that I did it justice and making sure that everything was by the books. And she was beyond supportive. And wow. so then I ended up telling my clinicians not too long after, plus some higher ups that are above my boss. And I was a little nervous to tell people. And everyone has just been so supportive and they're so excited for me. And it just, it makes me really happy. I love that. How did it go over with family members? So when I told my family, I remember sitting at lunch with my mom and telling her I wanted to write a book and that I actually had started writing it and that I was started taking the class and she was just so excited for me. And then I slowly started telling everyone else around me because I knew that I had to announce that I was writing a book through the marketing team and all of this stuff if I wanted people to kind of follow along and be on this journey. So people were really excited. I had some conversations with family members that I knew I wanted to include certain stories about and whatnot. And so getting permission that way was really important to me. I wanted to make sure to do that justice. What was their reaction, the people that you wanted to write about? So I wanted to write about somebody that had passed away. So I made sure to get permission from family members and whatnot. And yeah, that actually went really well. I was able to kind of like do some interviews to really just do the stories justice. When you are speaking of other people, especially your patients, how did you kind of conceal their identity and still keep in lines with being confidential? So I make it very clear in the introduction of my book, as well as the last chapter of my book. That when I talk about patients, the stories are real in regards to my experience. So for instance, a patient that passed away, that is my experience with a patient passing away, how I managed dealing with having my first ever patient pass away. The actual patient that I wrote about in the book is just a compilation of hundreds of people I've worked with throughout the years. So that patient that I write about in the book is not a real person. I completely made up their name, their story, all of this to protect the actual true story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not an actual person. I mean, there might be somebody out there that has had that exact experience, of course. Again, that's the point. I want people to see themselves in the book, but that person doesn't exist. So All the patients I write about are real stories in regards to my experiences, but the actual patient, their characteristics, names, gender, ages, all of that, 
I just made it up for the book. I'm so excited for this Thank to come you. out. When is it going to be available? Soon, right? Yeah. So pre-sale, I actually just spoke with my marketing specialist a few days ago and it has gone to printing. So the book has mm. gone to printing. So it's in the process of getting printed, which is crazy <laughs> to me. So pre-sale should be starting in a couple weeks. So the end of January. So pre-sale will go on for maybe a couple, like a couple weeks. So it should be physically in my hands in February, in early February. Sounds like this book could give insight to anyone from therapists, people who are in recovery, who mm-hmm. are hoping to be in recovery, family members of those. Absolutely. It, this it, book is for everyone. That's amazing. I saw you writing on vacation. Now, <laughs> yes. how did your husband feel about this? Were you like, hey, Todd, we're going to go to Mexico, but it's so that I could write? Oh. Yes, it absolutely <laughs> was. So we we planned our Mexico trip like two weeks before we went to Mexico. And honestly, it was so I could take a week off of work and just write. And my husband, he does mortgages and he is always working. So he was absolutely fine with this. So we would start in the mornings, he would, do, you know, do his work on his laptop. And I would do my writing from probably like seven, I would say maybe like six in the morning to about 10 or 11 in the morning. And I would okay. just write and write. And then I'd put the laptop away. And we would have lunch, we'd swim. And then we'd go back to the room after a few hours. And I would do a meeting maybe with my editor, write a little bit more. And then we would go to dinner and go out and yeah, we had the best vacation, but I wrote so much because I work, you know, I work full time. So working full time, writing full time is exhausting. So honestly, taking a week off to go to Mexico to write was a luxury. It was perfect. It sounds like Todd's been pretty supportive. Oh, he's the greatest. Oh my gosh, <laughs> he is the greatest. He went with me to go buy my my laptop. Yes, we went to Miami. I brought my laptop there, wrote in Miami. Yeah, I got to write kind of all over the place, which was really fun. How did you guys meet? My mom. Your mom set you up? Did you want to hear the story? Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay, so uh, long. I'm going to try to make this really short. So long story short, I was in graduate school and my mom was like, oh, I met this boy at work because she you know, worked at the bank and he worked at the bank, the same bank in different departments, but at the same bank. I met this boy. He's really lovely. I think you would love him. That's awesome, mom. I'm in grad school. Like, I'm a little busy. She's like, oh, well, you know, there is a problem. Like, he does have a girlfriend, so he isn't available. (laughs) I'm like, okay. She's like, but I just feel like you would really get along, even if you were just friends. Mom, I'm not going to try to be friends with a random person that has a girlfriend, but thank thank you so much. So then (laughs) a year or so goes by, and she's like, oh, I saw Todd again at this work event and he's so nice and you know he hasn't been with that girlfriend they they did break up I'm like oh great awesome like is he okay she's like oh yeah no they said that he said they broke up a while ago so he's single I'm like amazing mom like I'm about to graduate I have stuff to do so then like a year goes by mom's like I saw Todd again I'm like oh my gosh mom just leave this poor kid alone like tell him to just friend me on Facebook because of course (laughs) at this point she's like telling him about my career and everything he said it was interesting I mean, what else are you supposed to say to this woman talking about her daughter? Like, of course, you're going to agree and say like, oh, yeah, she, kid sounds great. Yeah. So I'm like, just tell him to friend me on Facebook next time. Like, just leave him alone. So she goes into work the next morning at like six in the morning and emails him and says, my daughter says to friend you her on Facebook. Oh, my goodness. Mom, that is not what happened. <laughs> that is not what happened. So this poor thing adds me on Facebook because she tells me like, oh, I emailed Todd. Mom, that's not what I meant. <laughs> He adds me on Facebook and I don't remember if he messaged me first saying hi or something, but I, either way, I messaged him and I just said, I am so sorry. Like, I am so sorry. I I don't know what happened with her. So a week or so later, we were like, you know, let's just go get drinks. Appease my mother. We went and got a, got drinks and dinner and we've been inseparable ever since. Oh my goodness. So your mom, (laughs) your mom knew. Oh, she, she knew. She got, a, knew. she got a speech at our wedding. Uh. She <laughs> no, she knew. He's great. So did you know on the first date, because you said you were inseparable after that, were you like, oh, yeah, yeah, she was right? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And him too? Yes. Yeah, no, we clicked right away. So is he a big reader also? He is. He's a huge Stephen King fan. I'm actually sitting in our library right now and we have a whole bookcase of just Stephen King books and he actually has a full sleeve of tattoos of all Stephen King characters. God, you guys are like a match made in 
book heaven. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, he loves horror. He gets dragged around to my chemical romance concerts with me. He, he's it. great. Yeah, no, it. he's awesome. Where can I find a Todd? I know we got to get my mom. <laughs> we'll have my mom set you up. When did you start reading books? Like as a little kid? Yes, I've loved reading books since I was a child. Ivy loves reading too. In fact, today, you know, I'm on my organization journey. So we just reorganized her bookshelf and we got rid of a lot of books that were donating. And in the process, she started like taking out books and reading. And I'm like, um, you're supposed to be helping me. And she ends up reading the books instead. What is your favorite book? Oh, okay. So I always say The Alchemist mm. because I just, I think every person should read that book. I love Agreed. that book. I love, love, love The Alchemist. When you want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it. Exactly. And actually, Todd, I made him read it. Mm -hmm. And he got that tattooed on the inside of one of his arms. That's tattooed on his arm? Yes. Oh, my God. So for those of you who have not read The Alchemist, it's a short book, but it's such a good read. And there's so many lessons in it. But this one particular lesson, it's the theme throughout it. And it keeps being repeated. I don't know how many times I've read it. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think I've ever finished it. I think I read it and I put it down or then I'll open it and I'll read other parts. And it's like it's almost like I read the parts of it that I'm supposed to read mm -hmm. at the time. Absolutely. Another part of that book, I think it was The Old King tells yes. him in the beginning he's like people learn early in their lives what their reason is for being but maybe that's why they give up on it so early too that's powerful mm -hmm. it's a fabulous book I probably read it 20 years ago but I need to finish it I've never finished it even though it's a short yes, book you have to I love it I love that book and that's definitely a book that I think every single person should read and so good. And it's so funny because I read it about 20 years ago. That was at the point where I was trying to like figure out my personal legend. Not that I call mm -hmm. it that, but like, you know, what am I supposed to do with my life? You know, all of that. And I went down this path of reading a ton of books. And when I go back now and reread those books, it's so crazy to see how I was influenced by them, but I didn't even realize it. But now in retrospect, I realize it. And I almost feel like you were probably influenced by that, too, you know, going after this dream of yours to write a book. If you actually pursue it, there will be signs that the universe is helping you achieve this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there any advice that you have for aspiring authors such as myself, anyone who has had this dream to write a book? What would you tell them now that you've done the process? Honestly, just do it. Just write what you know, write what you want to write. I've had people ask me, oh, do you think you'd write fiction book after this, like a thriller? Because for instance, I love thrillers. Agatha Christie is one of my favorite authors of all time. I love her book. I don't know if I would ever write one myself because I, I don't know, I prefer to read them. But when it comes to the nonfiction and writing about what I know, okay, yes, I'm not a trained writer, but I had an idea and it's what I know best and so I just kind of started writing and the editors helped me along the way make it you know my own and I, I know the book's not going to be perfect and there's probably going to be some errors and whatnot in regards to sentence structuring and descriptions and whatnot but it's perfect for me and I did it and I'm just really proud of myself because this is the biggest accomplishment I've ever had in my whole life this is mm -hmm. the biggest thing I've ever done and I'm just really proud of myself. And I think if somebody wants to do it, just do it. Yeah. Well, I want to get into some listener questions. And I chose three from our Instagram group. Oh, yay. So really quickly, uh, touching on our Instagram group, I mentioned it earlier in the show that I think we've all been in this group now for over two years. Yes, it's been years. And it's nice to have a therapist in the group because we all have our issues. <laughs> You're a nice voice of reason when we need it. <laughs> I try, but hey, you guys help me too. I hope so. I was wondering. Yes. Okay, good. No, I know. People think just because I'm a therapist, I have it all together. You're going to read my book and realize I am a mess sometimes. Just because I'm a trained therapist does not mean I am my own therapist. So it's always good to have other people helping. So did we initially meet through shenanigans? Yes. You were a shenanigans listener. Yes. Were you a winner of my sugar taco jar giveaway? Yes. Yes, okay. I was. So that's what happened, I guess, you know, over two years ago now when I was on shenanigans. It was over two years ago. Yeah, maybe three, actually. 
I don't know. It's but been a long time. Been a while. So I got this group together. There was like, I don't know, 15 winners or something like that. And then mm-hmm. some, oh, I think maybe like gathering your addresses or something. You may have all been on like a group chat or something. And then we just continued all talking. Yes, we just didn't stop. Yeah. And then I just started adding more people because someone would reach out to me and be like, oh, I'm going through this or I'm feeling really lonely and your podcast is helping. I'm like, you might enjoy this group of women. It's a great support group. Do you want to be involved? A lot of people were like, yeah. So people have come and gone, but there's been this core group that you know, I'm so grateful for. I am too. I love it. Well, our first question's from Melanie. Yay! Melanie actually sent in a lot, but you touched on a lot of her questions, so they were already answered. But she would like to know one piece of advice you would give future therapists in your field and one piece of advice that stuck with you over the years. Okay, so let's see. One piece of advice that has stuck with me, I'm going to start with that one. So when I started, as a therapist working in this field, I was 24. So I felt like a baby and I am not an addict. I do not struggle with substance abuse or addiction myself. And I make that very clear in my book. A big thing was that my patients would always say like, how can you help me? Like you haven't gone through this or you look like (laughs) you look like a child. How are you going to help me? (laughs) And I would be kind of nervous. And that's true of any therapist. It doesn't kind of, it doesn't matter what you specialize in as a therapist, especially if you're young, you know, and you're working with maybe an older person, they might say like, what do you know? You're a kid. Okay, Doogie Hauser. (laughs) Yeah. And and one of the therapists I was working with at the time said, well, if you were going in for brain surgery, because you had a brain tumor, you're not going to ask your surgeon, you can't help me because you've never had a brain tumor before. You're going to trust your surgeon because you know, they studied what they're supposed to, and they, they know how to fix you. They're going to be the best person to fix you and help you. Yeah. And so I took that and yeah, that piece of advice has always stuck with me. Good. And I thought that was great. And advice I'd give future therapists or other therapists is just, you are, you are helping people, whether you know it or not, you are helping people. The world needs more of you and just give yourself grace and take care of yourself. Just take care of yourself, whatever that needs to look like. If you need to step away, if you need to take a break, if you need more supervision. You just have to take care of yourself. Nancy would like to know, how do you pick the next book you'd like to read? (laughs) Honestly, I just look at the books that I have in my library because I have, I have hundreds and hundreds of books here and I probably have about a hundred unread books. And I just try to pick one that speaks to me that day. And that's kind of how I pick it. So whether the cover looks really pretty or I'm like, you know what? This looks like a small book. We're going to go with a small one today. Where do you acquire hundreds and hundreds of books? Are you going out buying them? Are they given to you or what? So I live around the corner from a used bookstore. I can, I walk there. It's bad because I go there multiple times a week. And yeah, I love books. And I have a little free library in front of my house that my husband got me and surprised me with. And it's the greatest thing ever. And we put books in there and people bring books. And yeah, I just, I love books. Wait a minute. That is so cute. We just passed a free library uh, when we were on our little staycation in San Juan Capistrano. This house has it and Ivy absolutely loved it. And now we put some books aside to go bring back next time we go walking around there. Yes, we have one in our in our front lawn and it's awesome. How does that work? Because isn't there a registry or something that people can actually Google and find free libraries? Correct. Yep. So it has this little plaque that is registered. So it's on the little free library map. So cute. It is. It's so cute. I love it. Another reason we love Todd. Yes, he's great. (laughs) And he doesn't have a brother? He has two brothers. Oh, well, do they have girlfriends? Not that your mom would care. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Honestly, yes. One is married and she's amazing and the other is in a relationship. So unfortunately, they're taken, but they're amazing. Okay. (laughs) Last question from Amy. She wants to know how many books do you read per year and what is your favorite genre? Ooh, okay. So thriller is definitely my favorite genre. I love, love, love thrillers. And I try, I set a reading goal every year. So in 2021, I read 87 books. And then in 2022, I beat it and read 88 books. How do you find the time to not only write a book, but to read all of these books and work full-time as a therapist? I don't watch a lot of television. Okay. I watch a couple reality TV shows and that's about it. Which ones? Vanderpump Rules, of course. <laughs> Love Vanderpump. Um, Vanderpump Rules, 
Summer House. I think those are the only ones, really. I've started watching Southern Charm a little bit. I love Southern Charm. Because I love Paige mm-hmm. from Summer House. So I was like, I need to see Paige in Southern Charm. I just asked Paige to come on as a guest. Oh, she's the best. Hopefully she can. Yeah. Love her. Yeah. I'm, I met um, Austin in Charleston. He was really nice. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I was like, you didn't tell him like you knew him from TV. I'm like, no, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't actually know him. I just see him on television. Right. So I like some of those shows, but I don't really watch a lot of other television so I just read honestly I just spend time reading and I can I can read really quickly so I can finish a book really fast I can probably when we went so long story short we went to Aruba a couple weeks ago and we were there for six days and I read five books oh my goodness see I do audiobooks because I I spend a lot of time in my car especially if I'm driving up to LA and there's traffic you know I could spend potentially four hours just one day in a car so I can get audiobooks done that way if I'm not listening to podcasts yeah, but it sounds it sounds like to me you, you like to actually have the book in your hand and read yes. it okay. I love the physical book yeah and a little tip to you guys listening which I found out during the pandemic is that and I probably shouldn't say this to an author who wants to sell books but <laughs> I don't know how you feel. I'm sure you love libraries as well Oh, yes. You can sign up to be, you know, a member of your library online. You can sign up in whatever county you're in. And then they have all of these audiobooks for free. Yes. So it's like, why would I pay for audiobooks when I can just get them for free through my library? So that's what I do. No, libraries are great. I love the library. So I have a ton of books that I own, but I go to the library weekly. I love the library. I think it's a beautiful resource. I think everyone should be allowed to read books and have access to books no matter what your socioeconomic status is. And I think the library is an amazing resource. Yeah, but I'm going to buy your book. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jamie. Because I want to keep it. And plus, I want to support you. And there's books that I just want always on my bookshelf. I have a lot of books that I've purchased as well. All right. Well, I think you know what time it is. You have to pick a song. Oh, my goodness. There's so many songs I don't even know. Who's your favorite emo band? It doesn't have to be emo genre, but let's stick with it since you're an emo fan anyway. Oh, yes. I have so many. I mean, I probably My Chemical Romance. Okay. That's a good one. Honestly, I Don't Love You is my favorite. That's so depressing. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. We'll play that one. Where can people find you? So feel free to follow along on my Instagram. It's the daily reader underscore so I will post all of my book updates there I post books that I'm currently reading that I want to read and I will post the links for the pre-sale for my book in a couple of weeks how exciting I like I said had the pleasure of reading part of it and I am so excited to be able to read the whole book thank you so much for having me on here I really appreciate it this is an honor It is all my honor. Are you kidding me? I can't even tell you how happy I am for you. And the whole reason I even started this podcast is because of that group that I mentioned earlier. You're a part of it. You motivated me to do this. So I am so grateful for you. So having you on is like so special. And I'm going to cry. (laughs) Don't cry. Hey, you can cry during the song. Yes. (laughs) Cue it up. (laughs) Bye, Christina. Thank you. Bye, Jamie.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.